Oh, breaking news. Breaking news. Uh, Jeremy, do the drum thing for breaking news or break a glass or something. Yeah, we're going to have to work at our sound effects. We are back. Welcome to episode 11 of the All Our Teams podcast, the uninformed and yet equally opinionated gander into the sporting world. As always, my name is Alistair Kirk, and once again, I am joined by my two fantastic co-hosts. First up, it is Willy Wally himself. It's Jack Green. Good to be back with all three of us, guys. Good to see you. And across the pond, thousands of miles away in person, but very close to our hearts, thanks to a round of top threes. He is almost certainly now on an FBI watch list. It's Jeremy Curo. Gentlemen, good to have us all back. Yes, it is very good to have all three of us back. And thank you to everyone for once again tuning in to us, dandering on about sports. Please remember, we are on Instagram. We are on Twitter at all our teams. You can catch us on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Pod. Tell your friends, tell your foes. And on this week's show... We will talk about news from the past fortnight because the three of us have returned from our annual leave. We'll discuss which teams made a huge mistake. Uh, We'll also talk about some games that we would like to see. I will quiz the boys on nicknames and then we'll delve into our favourite top threes. Boys, a couple of us have had a holiday. Uh, Jack, you've been working full time. Really sorry (laughs) about that. But um, shall we get into some sports news? Let's Let's do do it. it. Yep. Fantastic. And we will continue with Jeremy's education on Scottish football by starting with the hipster hilarity that is the Scottish Premiership. And uh, Jack, it is back with a bang. After all of six minutes, trophy hoarders Celtic and oil fanatics Aberdeen instantly forgot that there was a global pandemic with players from both teams breaching protocol and causing a diplomatic incident within the Scottish borders. Now... Johnny Hayes, Michael Devlin, Scott McKenna, Matty Kennedy, Sam Cosgrove, Dylan McGeoch, Craig Bryson and Bruce Anderson, all of Aberdeen, lost to Rangers 1-0 and proceeded to visit a bar uh, minutes later. Now, unfortunately for the aforementioned players, Aberdeen had a mini outbreak of COVID-19 and the city went into lockdown. Now, unfortunately for the aforementioned players, the bar they chose to go to, which is called the Soul Bar, well, it had an outbreak of COVID-19 and Aberdeen had to announce to the SFA that they had players who had breached protocol. Now, Sky Sports have reported that two members of the group tested positive for the virus with six others having to self-isolate. Aberdeen's game against St Johnston and St Mirren, God bless, uh, was postponed with Aberdeen heavily finding its players. Uh, Then just when you thought Scottish football couldn't lose its head further, Celtic announced that their Belgian midfielder and the fantastically named Bully Balling Goalie had (laughs) travelled to Spain. He had then travelled back from Spain and he had not self-quarantined. Now, as Jack will know, it is UK law to self-quarantine for two weeks if you have been to Spain. Um, Now, not only did Bully Balling Goalie not self-quarantine after going (laughs) to Spain, Celtic didn't even know he was there and then brought him on as a substitute against Kilmarnock. Um, Now, this resulted in Celtic's games against St Mirren being postponed and they were also due to play Aberdeen. 
Now, the Scottish government has said that Scottish football is on its final warning and any more slip-up by any team will see the season being canned once again. Jack, I've said it before on the podcast and many people out there on social media always say it, Scottish football appears to only get itself into the news uh, when there's a massive cock-up. And once again, there has been a massive cock-up. Uh, what is your thoughts on the Aberdeen and Celtic COVID debacle? Um, I'll start off by calling bullshit on Celtic, saying they had no idea where he was. He's a professional footballer. To my knowledge, they had two days off and he was due back for two of the days when he was away. So he was AWOL. I can't see his agent not knowing. I can't see them not having at least some idea of where he was. Let's face it, they've got an inside bit of information there that they're clearly not willing to share. Um, to my knowledge, that player will not be playing for Celtic again. Um, I'm not sure how true that is, but I haven't really searched into it too much. The guy is obviously a bit of an idiot, but the team also played him. Aberdeen, I mean, just there's clearly a lack of, of management there. If the players are so easily wandering off and ignoring the protocols that they're supposed to have set, there's no standard at all. Um, their own fans were calling for them to have uh, the games forfeited, not just called off, and which would obviously end in a 3-0 win for the other team. And rightly so, it's it's nice to see the fans react in the right way. I would imagine Celtic fans didn't. Um, but yeah, just the, the whole thing is just ridiculous. Like they're in such a privileged position and they've abused that position. Um, and you know the public is looking on, and uh, yeah, in such a in such a high position, they've made themselves look very very silly. Yes, Aberdeen as a club have apologised for their players' action. Although manager Derek McInnes came out at the weekend there and said that they've had a you know they've had enough punishment and that uh, everyone should move on. Easier said than done. Uh, while Celtic manager uh, Neil Lennon stated to the BBC that he was livid and that it would be very difficult for. Uh, Mr. Bolingoli to return to the dressing room with Celtic themselves saying his actions were beyond explanation. Jeremy, I think the biggest question of this, though, is uh, how many strip clubs did Boli Bolingoli <laughs> visit on his sabbatical to Spain? I think the bigger question is how many syllables are in his name? <laughs> uh, probably quite a few. I don't know. Maybe he took our our buddy with him. Uh, yeah, that's pretty pretty shit thing to do to not say anything and, and go to another country and come back, so... For uh, Ongo Gaboglian or whatever his name was, we'll see. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> Sounds like a style. Well, um, you know what? <laughs> well, I had uh, messaged Jack and I had stated that, uh, you know, not that I ever want to see a man get fired, but I think it is uh, it is unattainable for Bull and Bull and Gully and his <laughs> syllables to return to the pitch. Now, in other news, uh, you know, which is absolutely classic SFA, is they decided to punish Aberdeen and Celtic by punishing Heart of Midlothian instead. Um, now, we all know that FIFA and UEFA are about as honest as a press conference by the current US president, but the SFA and SPFL, they are no better. They announced that all teams out with the Scottish Premiership, and that includes the likes of Hearts, Inverness, Caledonian Thistle and Dundee, that they could not train until further notice. Now, what was fantastic about this was while Hart and Midlothian were being told they could not train, Hull City, who play in England's League One, were in Edinburgh training at the exact same facility as Hart and Midlothian, and the ban did not uh, include them. They were free 
to train as much as they like. Now, the SFA and SPFL have said that they had no other choice. However, they also allowed women's side Glasgow City to continue training for their upcoming Champions League match, which is Jack... um, Pointed out on our group chat, they then lost 9-1. So that was uh, training well spent. Um, According to the Edinburgh Evening News, Hearts have spent uh, £100,000 bringing players back from furlough, testing players regularly, and also paying for deep cleaning at the training facility, which is in the the west of Edinburgh, not far actually from where I live. Now, the ban has uh, been lifted, but... Jack, uh, look, I'm a Hearts fan, so obviously I'm going to react negatively to this. They say they had no other choice because of the fear of players spreading COVID-19. But when the two teams involved are Aberdeen and Celtic, why are you punishing the rest of Scotland? Yeah, it does seem a a little strange, uh, but consistent with the way that they would normally behave. I guess there's teams that make a lot of money for the league. Um, not being punished quite as as much as everyone else. The whole ban is is yeah, it's really strange considering you're still letting Premier League teams go in and train. So the idea of of, of shutting it down is is basically irrelevant anyway. Um, and Hull being able to is is ridiculous. How they haven't whatever it was. I'm assuming it was preseason training or preseason friendlies or something they were up here for. How have they been even allowed to come into the country? Like you're talking about masses of people coming up because it's not just eleven players; it's a whole squad plus all the training staff, all of the physios and everything. There's it must have been about fifty or sixty people that have come up. How we can justify that? I mean, I guess the women's the women's football is the same as as the Premier League, so they could justify it that way. But to to cancel three leagues worth of training for preseason, but allow yeah Hull to come in. It just completely contradicts the whole thing and makes them look very, very silly. Like you said, it seems to be that Scottish football is only really in the major media when they do something stupid and they are continuing to do that every day that goes past. Well, you know that a rule is stupid when the manager of Hibernian Football Club, which is Hearts' bitter rivals, comes out and says that the ban is ridiculous. Mm. Uh, Jeremy, maybe a question I could uh, pose to yourself would be, if you were the commissioner of, of a league in North America or if you know you decided if you came over to Scotland and you were in charge of the corrupt uh, organization <laughs> that is the SFA um, you know what do, what would you deem as acceptable for teams that breach protocol yeah it's difficult to say because you don't want to interrupt the entire flow of the season for one team but we kind of see right now the MLB is just pushing teams aside and letting other teams play on as they deal with uh, not breaches, but just outbreaks within their organizations. So I guess it can be done just to put them aside, but it's not ideal. Uh, it's a little different in, you know, soccer, rugby or whatever, where you only have a limited amount of games, not like baseball where you have, I guess this season's only 60, but usually 160. I don't know. I think everybody's still figuring out what punishments should be for this sort of thing. Is there a commissioner for, you know, those leagues there? Not, not a commissioner, no. Uh, so, for example, Neil Doncaster is in charge of the of the SFA, and he's coming from a lot of criticism for the whole uh, COVID nineteen curtailing debacle. And you know, he earns a lot of money, though. You know, we, you know, um, I imagine it's not what Mister Goodell earns in in yeah. the US, but uh, but it's still it's 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 way, you know it's a wage that many in Scotland would uh, <laughs> would retire happily on. Mm-hmm. For for me, it's it's just it's just the classic inconsistencies, you know. You don't want Aberdeen fans or, or Celtic fans to be punished by the action of their team and the players in those teams. But, you know, it, it, it's it's a it's a bloody pandemic that's been going on now for about six, seven months. This isn't new. And 
within five minutes of Scottish football returning, we've got players who just seem to forget. And, you know, um, one of my wife's really good friends, her husband is a footballer and, you know, it, it's not like he should be treated any differently. And, I, you know, he, you know, there's footballers out there like Messi and Ronaldo et al who earn eye-watering money. You know, a lot of footballers in Scotland earn a nice wage, but they're not multi-millionaires. But still, they have the privilege of being a professional athlete. And for me, you just kind of have to remember that you're going to be held to a different um, standard than an office worker mm-hmm. or a guy who works in Tesco. And these players haven't done it. And then for the SFA to turn around and say, well, to rectify this situation, Hearts, Dundee, Inverness, you guys can't train because a guy, is, a bunch of guys in the league above you uh, couldn't be bothered not to go to the pub for five minutes. It yeah. just, it, it's nonsensical. And for me, it's just the SFA in a nutshell. They, they, even if they made the decision and they genuinely weren't doing it to just piss off hearts, which I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, so I'm not going to say that's why they did it. But what I'm saying is that's why they did it. Um, but like, you know, even if they even if they sat down as a board and, and said, this is what we're going to do, like, they just haven't thought it through. Mm-hmm. It, it makes no sense. And when you have managers of other teams in the Scottish Premiership coming out and saying it's ridiculous, for me, that's when you know that it was a, it was a poor decision. But as always on this podcast, I could rant about this until you both uh. just leave. So, so yeah anything else jack or shall we move on no no i think you you kind of nailed it on the head there perfect um so just to round up scottish football uh from the first couple of weeks uh, celtic dropped points um only for rangers and hibernian to also drop points in the same weekend so the question jack would be does anyone other than bullying uh bully ball and goalie care about stopping 10 in a row i don't think so <laughs> ross county who have a Policy of only signing goalkeepers called Ross. Their current two top goalscorers are called Ross Stewart and Ross Draper. <laughs> and uh, despite having COVID-19 for the majority of this season, Aberdeen are still ahead of teams such as Kilmarnock, Motherwell and Hamilton, who have all played about three games more. So I think that uh, shows that you're having a bad season when uh, a team can not bother playing for three weeks and you're still worse. Yeah. Right, boys, let's move on from Scottish football before my blood boils any further. And let's move on to European football. The 2019-20 Champions League and the Europa League have both concluded this weekend. Uh, As we record, PSG and Bayern Munich are currently nil-nil. I want to start off with the tweet of the week. This isn't an official segment on this podcast, but I'm going to put it in there. It's by a gentleman called David Harding, who identified that for the first time in Champions League history... The two teams contesting each have a duty-free club shop at Doha Airport. (laughs) So these are the stats that I certainly live for. I don't know about you boys. Um, Now, uh, the Champions League uh, final is going on right now, so we really can't talk about it. But we will jump into some Champions League chat very shortly. Um, But the other night there, Jack, uh, the Europa League final was won by Sevilla, who seemed to be addicted to that competition, in a 3-2 victory over um, once Italian giants enter Milan, that was Sevilla's sixth title in the Euro- uh, in the Europa League. Now, it was a great game, but in peak all our team's fashion, four of the five goals were scored in the opening thirty five minutes. I started watching the game in the thirty sixth. <laughs> um, 
so that was that was prime that was prime for us but i have to say it was a great game i've rewatched the opening 35 um because i wanted to see the goals uh and the rest of the game was brilliant despite there only being one um jack i don't know if you caught any of the europa league final but sevilla fairly fairly enjoyed playing in that competition I didn't see any of it, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, they they just don't lose games in knockout games in that tournament at all. It's something like one loss in the last seven years in the knockout ties in the Europa League. Just unbeatable. Beating you know the teams they beat as well. Just absolute giants of the game. So incredible. Um, wouldn't want to get drawn against them if my team was ever good enough to play in the competition. <laughs> yeah, same. Jeremy, uh, is the Europa League like if you don't qualify for Champions League, that's where you play? So it's it's a completely different competition, obviously, and there is situations where people who lose in the Champions League group stages do go down into the Europa League, but it is oh, okay. it's you know it's with its own merit it is a it is a standalone tournament. So, like say in England, for example, the first the like the top four teams qualify for the Champions League, fifth place mm-hmm. goes into the Europa League. So it's kind of like the Division right. Two of European competition. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but if if teams come third in the group stages of the Champions League, they get put into the the knockout rounds of the Europa League. Europa League is right massive. So many teams get put forward through to it. A lot of the smaller countries kind of don't get a Champions League spot. They'll get a Europa League spot. Um, so it's yeah. I, I think that saying Division Two of European football is probably the best way of putting it. So it's still a pretty good, like pretty prestigious tournament. Oh, 100%. 100%. Some of the so, biggest yeah. teams in Europe cool. play in that. Like Sevilla, one of the biggest teams in Europe, Inter Milan too. And the thing, and the thing, Jeremy, as well, is there are some countries who really revere the Europa. There's maybe an attitude in England that sometimes, you know, it's games that teams, you know, like let's say Tottenham are in the Europa League or Man United. It's oh, games that they could do without because then they've got to play on the Sunday in England and they're trying to vie for those Champions League places. Right. But then you get teams like Sevilla who, am I right in saying, Jack, that it was Sevilla that actually turned down going into the Champions League because they wanted to challenge for the Europa League again. It was a definitely it a definitely Spanish team. It could have been yeah. Sevilla. It could have been at, could have been Atletico Madrid. But what they did, Jeremy, was they won the Europa League, so they were eligible for the Champions League the next year. And they actually declined that entry. They wanted to go back in the Europa because they wanted to try and hold on to their title. So, cool. so yeah, so for some for some countries, the Europa League is it's huge. For others, um, and, and England being one of them, it's a bit more of a nuisance because, you know, what you have to remember as well is in the Europa League, sometimes you're playing teams that are thousands of miles away. I remember uh, aforementioned COVID-19-loving Aberdeen. They once uh, got um, they got uh, a draw against a team out in either Kazakhstan or Azerbaijan, and they had something like a 6,000-mile flight. They flew all the way over there, lost 1-0, got knocked out oh. of the competition, had to fly all the way back uh, to then play on the Sunday, probably against the old firm in which they lost that too. So, that sucks. And what will be interesting is they're talking about bringing in a third tier of European knockout football, um, which will be for teams that don't make either the Champions League or the Europa League. So I imagine this is just a way of making money. But uh, mm. Cool. It might benefit our teams, Jack. So, <laughs> you know. There you go. <laughs> now, the biggest news that came out of the Champions League, um, I think, won't be whoever wins tonight, but it was the, well, just the culmination of what has been multiple seasons of regression for Spanish giants Barcelona, as they were beaten 8-2 by German giants Bayern Munich. Now, the highlight... Uh, for me of the loss was that two of the goals were scored by Philip Coutinho who Jeremy is on loan at Bayern Munich from 
Barcelona. Now, Barcelona didn't bother to put into the contract that he couldn't play against them, so he did. They took him off the bench, and he scored twice. No way. <laughs> that can happen? Yep. That's unbelievable. <laughs> well, they, they, yeah, they just didn't put it in the contract to say he couldn't play against them. Uh, you, you see it a lot. For example, if Spurs were to loan uh, a guy to Norwich or vice versa, they would put in the contract. Mm-hmm. He can play every game, but not us. Actually, Ryan Christie, uh, he went on loan from Celtic to Aberdeen for two seasons in a row. Aberdeen got to cup finals against Celtic. The best player on Aberdeen's team was Ryan Christie, but because his parent <laughs> club was Celtic, he couldn't play against them. And without a doubt, for me, that was a deciding factor mm-hmm. in Aberdeen's uh, in Aberdeen not winning that. Um, now, Jack, shortly after the humiliating defeat for Barcelona, they sacked their technical secretary. I don't know what that is. I'm assuming it's just another term for director of football. And their head coach. Uh, and they've replaced him with Ronald Koeman. Um Barcelona seemed to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I watched the 8-2 and Barcelona were a joke. I mean, the first 10 minutes of the game, it was very open, a lot of end-to-end, good chances for both teams and Bayern took their chances um, and Barcelona's first goal was an own goal. So it's it's not even like they they managed to hit the net themselves. Um, but the last half an hour of the game, they just looked like they didn't care. They just gave up defensively. They were awful. Bayern Munich just attacked, attacked, attacked. And that is what they've been since we restarted. They have looked incredible and uh, they do deserve to win tonight. Um, Watch them go ahead and lose it now. Um, The manager getting fired was an inevitability. You can't lose 8-2 when you're the Barca manager. It doesn't matter who you play against and it doesn't matter what tournament you're in. It just, you don't. If you do, you lose your job. Um, I'm not sure Koeman is the man to replace him though. Um, he wasn't great with Everton, I don't think. Um, he's obviously a legend of the club, and you know sometimes that works. You see what Zidane did with Real Madrid. Uh, yeah, but what a mess! Um, you know, it's all over the Spanish papers. Barcelona is is in shreds, and it sounds like from top to bottom the club is is just a bit of a disgrace, really. So hopefully this means a big clear out. There's talk of Messi asking for a transfer, which obviously we touched on a couple of weeks ago. Where he goes, I still think Italy, but people are talking about him going to Juve and playing with Ronaldo, which I think kind of ruins it a little bit, but it would be amazing to see them play together. Um, But yeah, Barcelona are just a bit of a joke. I've got to say, on the Champions League as a whole, I think this has been a fantastic way to end the tournament, and I think that they should do this again. Um, we've seen the bubble work in other sports too. We've obviously spoken about the NBA and we'll continue to throughout this pod, but it's worked so well as this kind of bubble idea of the clubs being in the same place as an active tournament. I think it's been fantastic. So all a, a very big fan of this. One of the few things to come out of COVID that I've really enjoyed with sports. And uh, yeah, if they can keep this going in the future, I think it, it makes a big difference to the tournament. I'm not sure how it works financially, but I'm a big fan. Yeah, I completely agree, Jack. I've really enjoyed it as well. Um, going back to Barcelona, I didn't, I unfortunately did not see the game as I was in a field in the Scottish Highlands. <laughs> and there's, there's not many, there's not many TVs in, in Scottish Highland fields. But um, I was listening to the Guardian Football Weekly podcast during the week there, and and they made the observation that you know a large chunk of Barcelona's squad are now in their thirties. You know, key guys within that team who are all sort of averaging out around thirty-three years old. And Jeremy, I mean, you know, I kind of wanted to ask the question is. You know, is is there a North American equivalent that jumps to you where a team has been great, but suddenly those players who have been great for them have 
either they're past it or they're tired or they've given up and that team has inadvertently become a shadow of themselves by just not adapting and not preparing for the future definitely i mentioned a few weeks ago the brooklyn nets when they traded for kevin garnett and paul pierce they mortgaged like four or five years worth of first round picks in order to get those guys uh from boston boston's still getting those picks now i think jason tatum was one of those picks who's becoming one of the best players in the league uh brooklyn's only now recovering i mean they got lucky in signing durant and irving but yeah uh that happens a lot you see that in football too where guys just sort of hit an age and fall off a cliff uh, the NBA guys can play till they're a little older. Obviously, guys like LeBron are showing no signs of slowing down. But yeah, the best example would probably be the Nets uh, mortgaging their whole future for now on guys who are already washed up. Well, it will be interesting to see what happens to Lionel Messi. I am still flying the flag for Elgin City, and let's hope <laughs> that happens. Um, now, boys, uh, after approximately four years of slagging Joe Hart off for being overrated, uh, he has signed for my beloved Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah. Uh, the 33-year-old goalkeeper has signed a two-year deal. I've heard on the grapevine uh, it's 35000 a week to play in North London. Now, Hart won two Premier League titles, an FA Cup and two League Cups with Manchester City. He was on the books in Manchester uh, between 2006 and 2018. However, Joe Hart has been a shadow of his of his former self for some time. He's had cameos at Torino, West Ham and Burnley. I believe the Torino owner didn't have much uh, many nice things to say about him, but that was probably a bit excessive from a classic Italian owner. Um, <laughs> he was also part of England's ill-fated 2016 Euro squad, sorry to bring this up, Jack, in which he made two high-profile errors, one against uh, Wales and another against Iceland uh, when England were... Uh, knocked out of the tournament by the Vikings in one of football's most shocking results. Jack, I've I've always thought that Joe Hart was overrated, and I kind of feel that the English media has hyped him up because he is indeed uh, English. Um, he's now on uh, Tottenham Hotspur's uh, roster, which obviously means I think he's incredible. Uh, it's amazing how perceptions can change. But yeah, Jack, what's your thoughts on, on Joe Hart? Uh, Thirty-five grand a week is a lot for a third-choice keeper. That's the way I see it. Um, the the yeah. uh, the young lad, or I'm not sure how young he is anymore, but Paolo Gazaniga, is that how you say it? it could be very poorly that pronounced. Is, yeah, Gazaniga. Mm. Yeah. Looked to be a, a pretty good talent and potentially at one point was is going to be pushing Lloris for his job. So I don't really see why they've signed Joe Hart. Unless, of course, they're planning on shipping Lloris sometime soon, which, knowing Jose Mourinho, would not surprise me whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. um, especially as he's the captain, or he was the captain. Um yeah, it's, it seems like a bit of a strange move. Forgetting money, he is experienced. He probably does quite a lot in the dressing room. He seems like a genuinely nice bloke, but I don't know him. That's the way that he comes across anyway. Um, so, yeah, I think it's more just a bolstering of the squad. I think there's talent that's better than him. Um, in excess in the goalkeeper room at the moment anyway. Yeah, I read an article on The Athletic during the week there and it, it was saying that although he, uh, Joe Hart you know, was so far from getting a game with Burnley, Sean Dyche really liked having him in the dressing room for the way that he conducted himself with the younger players. Um, and that may be something that Mourinho sees with him, that he can uh, he can almost utilise his experience and knowledge more than more than that. Uh, uh, than starting him uh, any given week. Uh, Jeremy, what is your thoughts on uh, Joe Hart? First of all, he's no Brett the Hitman Hart. 
Uh, secondly, he has a truly terrible armor tattoo on his shoulder, which looks like sort of just a big black blob with a stripe through it. So those are the two thoughts I have on Joe Hart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say, without a doubt, the most important points in Joe Hart we've had in this podcast. Thank so you. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, yes, it'll be interesting. I, I really... Uh, I think we'll need to see uh, vast injuries to Lloris and Gazaniga before we see Joe Hart getting a game at Spurs. But Mourinho is Mourinho, so you never know. Guys, that was a brilliant chit-chat on football. Uh, Jeremy, I hope you've once again learned some more things about Scottish football because there will be a test in a few weeks' time. Hmm. Um, Boys, let's move on to the NFL. And it was news that broke uh, not long before we uh, started recording the podcast this evening. And that is that seven-times Pro Bowl attendee and Super Bowl forty-eight winner with the Seattle Seahawks, Earl Thomas, has been released by the Baltimore Ravens. ESPN reporting that the Ravens cut ties with Thomas after the free safety had, and I quote, an on-field altercation with teammate Chuck Clark. Now, the Ravens have announced uh, their intentions to try and void the $10 million guaranteed to Thomas for this season, with ESPN also reporting that Thomas will file a grievance with the league. Now, in an Instagram post after the Ravens announced he was no longer part of their roster, uh, Thomas wrote, and I quote, Appreciate the Ravens organization for the opportunity. I had a great run. Wish things would have ended different, but you live and you learn. He then went on to thank the Ravens GM, among others in the organization. The Dallas Cowboys appear to be leading the charge to sign Thomas. Jack, in our group chat, you uh, you actually wrote that this would be a big pickup for someone. So yeah, the news only broke a couple of hours ago, but Earl Thomas uh, no longer with the Ravens. Yeah, what a pickup for, for any team that takes him. Uh, we talked about this with Jamal Adams a couple of weeks ago. Um, and in fact, about Dallas. Um, if They may need a couple of pieces to really tip their team over the edge to become one of the, the best in the league and they are looking like a team that really could be on a charge for their Super Bowl this year so yeah big 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 signing um you know he's obviously left uh, left on social media like a gentleman whether that's what's happened in in reality he's doing the right thing uh for the public uh, sounds like it could have been a little bit messy but it happens from time to time I hope the guy gets a contract somewhere else he's he's been an incredible player in the league since since I started watching anyway so yeah, hopefully he ends up somewhere other than Dallas because I don't like them. <laughs> Jeremy, uh, Thomas had a, a stellar career with the Seahawks. He was only with the Ravens for one season. Uh, this altercation appears to have happened a couple of days ago, although I had missed this. Um, what's your What's your thoughts on, on Thomas being cut? Yeah, it's, it's very strange. Thomas is probably being, I mean, you could argue the best safety in the league uh, you know, on average over the past 10 years or, or however long he's been in the league. Uh, I remember him at University of Texas. He was amazing there. He went to Seattle, anchored that defense, and Seattle was just happy to let him walk. And now Baltimore's just cut him after, you know, punching out a player who's apparently the most well-liked and respected guy in their locker room. So if two of the teams who have the best locker room cultures in the league are just happy to let this guy walk, there's probably a little bit more going on than, than we know or that we've been told uh, the Cowboys might want to think twice before signing this guy. They've already got a few cultural issues in their organization, but that's a city and a team who values winning above everything else. So I really wouldn't be surprised if they did take him. Well, I suppose then it's it's a odd odds on guarantee that he will then sign for the Washington No Names. Mm-hmm. Um, boys, the biggest news though that came out of the NFL this week is that Jack's beloved Super Bowl bench warmers, the Buffalo Bills 
have renamed their stadium from New Era Field to the fantastically intelligent Bills Stadium. <laughs> Boys, I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, what would you have called this stadium if you were the GM of the Bills? I guess it's it's my team, so I probably should have had a few ideas. I think that there was a lot of talk on the kind of the fan pages of it being named after a legend of the team, you know, Jim Kelly or Bruce Smith, the the, the coach Marv Levy who took them to the four Super Bowls, Thurman Thomas. Maybe personally, I would have chosen Mark Miller as a, an ideal name for the stadium, <laughs> but of course, um, the real the real one, the one that they've really missed out on, is naming it the Juice Bowl. Um, after, of course, O.J. Simpson. <laughs> well, that gets my vote. Jeremy? Uh, a couple of things there. Our first O.J. reference of the day. Congratulations, <laughs> Jack. Uh, secondly, uh, a b- brilliant name, the Mark Miller Stadium or, or whatever it was. <laughs> I, I was shocked to see that he was still alive this year when there was another viral <laughs> video of him. Incredible. Uh, when we first watched that video, what, 2013 or 14 when we met, yeah. we said... Is this guy still alive? And we said, there's, there's no way. And yet he pops up, you know, six years later than that. Uh, the name I had, I thought of some famous stadiums, Madison Square Garden, the Boston Garden. So in Buffalo, simply the Beer Garden. <laughs> yes, yes, that's great. Ah, the Bills have missed uh, many a trick on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, boys, I thought I would jump in and uh, just uh, name some uh, ridiculous Scottish football stadiums and you could just try and guess the teams if you yeah. wanted. Uh, so uh, the first one is uh, the Energy Check Stadium at Fir Hill. Oh, I know this. <laughs> Jer- Jeremy? Just let, name, name there's really no point in me trying to guess teams here. Na- name a, just name a town you've heard. Aberdeen. Okay, that's wrong. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've got, I've, I thought I knew, and then now I'm doubting myself. So it's either Partick Thistle or Motherwell. Yeah, it's Partick Thistle. Oh, I was going to guess Motherwell. Um, oh, Which they're, 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 they're not in. What this, is Partick Thistle, this. by the way? Is that a town? Like, what's is that a team name? <clears throat> I don't really understand. Well, well, this is another fantastic. Uh, did we say this before? Yeah, we did. I said this to you. Yes, Partick Thistle playing Glasgow. They're Glasgow's third biggest team. Um, okay, but they play in they play in Maryhill, despite being named after the area of Partick, because they moved about hundred years ago. It just didn't bother to change their name. So, yeah, you've got Rangers, Celtic, Partick Thistle, and Queens Park are the four professional mm. teams in. Yeah, Queens Park were amateur up until uh, up until last year. They became semi-pro for the first time in one hundred and fifty years or something. Anyway, I digress. Uh, other stadiums in Scotland: the Penny Car Stadium, the Tony Macaroni Arena, the Simple <laughs> Digital Arena, the Fountain of Youth Stadium, which was originally called the Hope CBD Stadium because they uh, signed an agreement with a legalized cannabis company, and uh, Global Energy Stadium, which is the name of hipster favourite Ross County Stadium. All right, Jeremy, a bit of an education on Scottish stadiums, but let's now move on to a sport you definitely know about, and that is the NBA. The bubble has been in full flow, and if you ask me, it has been brilliant. Now, let's start, as we like to do on this podcast, with an all-our-teams update. The Phoenix Suns went 8-0 in the bubble, only to miss out on the playoffs after the Portland Trailblazers beat the Nets. 124-123, and also the fact that the Suns hadn't bothered to turn up for most of the year. Jeremy, your beloved Toronto Raptors went 7-1 in the bubble uh, and have since dominated the Brooklyn Nets in the playoffs, and Jack's beloved New York Knicks weren't invited. Um, now, in other NBA news, the Milwaukee Bucks and the LA Lakers, they completely forgot to turn up to the bubble, and to me, Yanis and LeBron don't seem to be 
uh, at the standard you would expect from the two of them. Um, they both lost their first uh, round matchup in the playoffs, but have since recovered. The Trailblazers and Damian Lillard, they have remembered to turn up at the tournament and have been simply brilliant. I've personally been really impressed with the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, Kawhi Leonard doing what he does best with the Clippers. And uh, it looks like Russell Westbrook could get one over Scooby-Doo actor Chris Paul. Uh, the Rockets uh, are leading the Thunder in their playoff. Um, overall, I've really enjoyed the bubble. I think the NBA has shown the sporting world how to operate a professional sport to a high standard during uh, during a global pandemic. Uh, but Jeremy, I'd like to get your take on, uh, on the NBA. Yeah, it's really been the only good thing about the virus so far is that it's led to how good this NBA bubble's been. It's been amazing. It's been games on all day, every day. Right now, we've had four playoff games on every single day for a week, week and a half, uh, starting at 1, finishing at 11.30 at night. You can just watch basketball all day if you're a fan like me. I watch it before I go to work. I watch it at work and after. It's great. Biggest takeaways uh, from your beloved sons, Devin Booker has really turned it on. He's like become a legitimate star in the league. I talked about last week how Portland is becoming one of my favorite teams and how much I like Damian Lillard. He was MVP of the bubble. Yeah, it's been incredible to watch him, to watch uh, Booker. My Raptors are 7-1 and one so far in the regular season, whatever bubble thing. Uh, they're only lost coming to Boston, who destroyed them, and that's, you know, 99% chance going to be their matchup in the playoffs next round. Both teams lack a superstar, but have multiple all-star level level players on their team. So that's going to be a very interesting and very difficult matchup for Toronto. Uh, yeah, overall, the bubble's been great. Uh, guys like Giannis and LeBron, to say struggled might be a bit much, but maybe weren't themselves. Uh, however, they're going to turn it on. They're probably the two best players in the league. So uh, they're now both up on their opponents, and they're not going to slow down. So those are two guys you really don't have to worry too much about. Yeah, um, Devin Booker with a clutch basket to beat the Clippers, which I thought was uh, selfishly a highlight, if not mm-hmm. the highlight of the bubble. Uh, question for you, Jeremy. If the Suns had made the playoffs, do you think Devin Booker would have got bubble MVP over Damian Lillard, or did Lillard just show the league how, how it's done? I think he probably would have, yeah. Lillard, they're, they're the two best players for sure, and then basically whichever one of them made the playoffs was, I think, going to win it. Uh, it's a shame... To see the Suns go 8-0 and and not make it. I wish they would have changed things a little more and bumped the Nets and Magic out of the East and let Memphis and Phoenix take those last two spots because not only are they infinitely more interesting, they are, you know, definitely better teams at this point too. Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, we just we just have to say, you know, I've said it at the start there, you've just vocalised it there. I mean, the NBA really has been a shining example uh, and, and a highlight of what has been a horrendous uh, six months for everyone mm-hmm. during this global pandemic. I think it really also um, highlights the tenure that is Adam Silver as the commissioner of the NBA. He just seems to constantly get it right. You've mentioned it in a previous podcast, and as we know, there are other sports out there who have commissioners who... Uh, who really uh, do not know how to how to operate and, and seem to forever get it wrong. Uh, we're looking at you, Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the NHL, there's definitely an argument that they are also operating a, a good bubble. But the totally. fact is that the fact is that the NBA have 
you know, the NBA have not had any games uh, cancelled because of COVID-19 outbreaks. The only real story of anyone breaching it was Lou Williams. And <laughs> look, he just he just wanted to go see some boobs. Who hasn't? Um, and, you know, we saw with the MLS, Jack, as you alluded to, I mean, first of all, they had a ridiculous name, which was what, the MLS's Back Cup, which yeah. is just, you know, somebody's probably been paid like $30,000 to come up with that. But they also had two teams who had to withdraw because of COVID-19 outbreaks within their squad. We just didn't see that in the NBA. And it's been so much fun to watch. And look, it's not the same in the sense of, you know, you watch The Last Dance and you see the atmosphere, you know, in, in the arenas when when the, the Bulls were in finals. And, you know, you look at those matchups against the, the Utah Jazz and just the, the unbelievable atmosphere of, let's say, like jazz fans, you know, because they really thought that this was their, they were going to be the ones to stop Michael Jordan. Um, sure, we're losing that in the bubble because there's nobody there, but the guys are still having bust-ups on the court. They're really, you know, they're mm-hmm. still passionate. And uh, yeah, it's been great. So, no, um, really, really big fan. And um, yeah, Devin Booker is a god and we may hear about more of, uh, more f- about him later on. And also, what a pickup Cameron Payne was, by the way. He's, he's, he's had a good audition. So I've been very chuffed. Um, boys, anything else on the NBA? No, good. We're good. All right, fantastic. Well, the other thing from the NBA bubble was that there has been a lot of beer drinking and players shotgunning beards, so I'm fully expecting Buffalo to hold the next <laughs> bubble. <laughs> Boys, let's jump in and talk some rugby. As you know, it is a sport I uh, hold very close to my heart. And the Guinness Pro 14 and the Gallagher Premiership, the, if you ask me, the two best club rugby competitions in the world, have returned after a six-month hiatus. Thanks to, who'd have thought it, COVID-19. Um, now, in the Gallagher Premiership, the uh, Exeter Chiefs, who we've spoken about before for different reasons on this podcast, um, they've returned with a bang. They with uh, two bonus point wins in a row, and they have to be favourites. Uh, to win the title. Um, We've also seen an ex-powerhouse of English rugby, Leicester Tigers. Well, they're continuing to regress and, quite frankly, doing a Barcelona. Um, Clubs, uh, sorry, clubs, I'll do that again. Problems are mounting within that club and they are very lucky that the Saracens breached the salary cap and got relegated. Otherwise, they would be going down and and, uh, that would be like uh, Manchester United being relegated from the English Premiership in football. Um... Now, in the Pro 14, my beloved Edinburgh Rugby returned this weekend, boys, and they did nothing but cause undue stress for the majority of the 80 minutes. But ultimately, we did it. We won. We beat our bitter rivals, Glasgow Warriors, 30 points to 15. It was a scoreline that flattered us, but I was very happy indeed. Uh, We secured the 1872 Cup. We've secured a home semi-final playoff in which we'll play Ulster. You know, there's only a couple of games to go and you never know. You just have to win that one game and uh, I could become even more intolerable than I already am. So good luck to the world on that one. Um, I was impressed with Edinburgh, uh, but I was also disappointed. There's a lot of work to be done. I'm not happy with our scrum halves. Um, although Charlie Shield, who I've mentioned on this podcast before, came off the bench and I thought he played very well. He scored a great try, albeit Glasgow looked knackered and had uh, slightly given up by that point. But um, but nope, happy. We're back with a win. Uh, highlight of the game was actually the player of the match interview with Jaco van der Volt, uh, Edinburgh Rugby fly half, who apologised midway through his interview stating he hadn't spoken English for six months and he'd forgotten it all. <laughs> so 
big shout out to Van der Volt for admitting halfway through an interview in English he actually couldn't remember what he was talking about. But the biggest news to come out of rugby this week, boys, is that the Scottish government has given permission to Scottish rugby to allow a small group of fans back into BT Murrayfield Stadium in Edinburgh for the next game between Edinburgh and Glasgow, which is due for this Friday, the 28th. Now, this would be the first professional rugby match in the whole of the United Kingdom to allow for fans. Now, the Telegraph newspaper are reporting 1,000 will be allowed in. The BBC are reporting 700 will be allowed in, which makes me think that nobody knows how many will be allowed in. Uh, Although the SRU have confirmed that the number will be, and I quote, limited. Now, as I've said before in this podcast, Murrayfield Stadium, hold 67,000 seats. The last Edinburgh-Glasgow game that had people in the stands had 27,000. So if it's 1,000 or it's 700, it's going to be significantly lower. In a previous podcast, we spoke about the return of fans to sports. Jack, you said that at this current time, you wouldn't necessarily be comfortable going to games. Jeremy, you had said that if it was outside, you would consider it, but certainly not for any indoor arena games. Uh, and, uh, and as I am the idiot <laughs> of the group, I said I would go regardless because I have absolutely no uh, understanding on pandemics. Um, and if I can get a ticket, boys, I will go this Friday, but the chances are probably very low. So, Jack, you live in Scotland. The Scottish government have said yes to having fans, albeit in very small numbers, back in a stadium. What's your gut thought on this announcement? Uh, it's not good in any way. Um, a country that is has been very good up until well, up until well, so far with with controlling COVID nineteen. Um, their focus is very deeply on pubs and restaurants and. Uh, Allowing, we've had kids go back to school and had outbreaks within schools. We've had pubs and restaurant breakouts. Obviously, we've mentioned Aberdeen today. Um, you're talking about gathering a lot of people in a small space. I understand it is outdoors, but it's not just the the transmission that comes from from being indoors with it, it being breathed across. You can transmit it in other ways. And one, I'm assuming there's going to be alcohol in the stands, which is the way that rugby has always operated. Um, and two, you're herding people into a small space. Now, it's a big stadium, I understand that, but the pinch points are where you come into the ground and you, while you can try and separate people, those entry points are quite small and it's about contact points with COVID-19. So if people make contact with the same point, one person gets it, unless they're planning on literally not testing but doing literally everything but a test before you go in, I don't think it's a good idea at all, especially with the possibility of outbreaks happening in in the country right now there has been pubs in edinburgh shut down due to cases of covid-19 um i am very much against it but that's i don't know i think that's a it is a safe answer i think um i, I love the idea that sports are coming back but i think it's just a little bit too early Jeremy, uh, obviously the UK and Canada are on uh, different levels when it comes to COVID, but if this had been announced in Toronto, what would your gut thought be? Basically, is the upside high enough to warrant the risk and for a thousand people to sit in a, in a stadium? To me personally, probably not. It'd be awesome to go, but uh, you know we're going to be able to go eventually, so just practice a little bit of patience. I wouldn't blame anyone that did go and that wanted to go. Uh, absolutely not, but uh, Jack made a lot of good points there and, and I was not necessarily going to agree with him before but after listening to him I think yeah he's he's hit things pretty spot on No Jack Jack makes uh, some very good points um, well 
if I do get a ticket and I do indeed go, I will hold up an all our teams sign. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and, uh, because I, you know, I, for sure, I will. You know, first of all, free marketing, and second of all, I'm bringing you both. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we will see if fans are allowed back in to BT Murrayfield on Friday. We will see how many they will be, and we will find out if I am one of them. Um, quick word on John Barkley, if I could, boys. Um, the Scottish internationalist and everyone's favourite grump has retired officially from professional rugby. Probably not in the manner he wanted to, but COVID-19 has changed the world as we know it. The 33-year-old started his career with the Glasgow Warriors. He then moved to Welsh Giants, uh, the Scarlets, uh, before ending his career uh, with a two-year stint at my beloved Edinburgh Rugby. Now, he won the 2017 Pro 14, and he came runner-up the following year with the Scarlets, and he remains a huge fan favourite in South Wales. Actually, when Edinburgh Rugby played the Scarlets uh, just before lockdown, he... uh, he came on as a sub and he was cheered by the Scarlets fans, despite the fact that Edinburgh Rugby were indeed beating them. Um, he was an integral part of the Scottish international team. He played over 17 international tests. Um, he was known as part of the Killer Bees um, due to their defensive stability and the fact that the three guys all had surnames that started with Bees. So well done to the guy who came up with that. Uh, and he went to the 2007 Rugby World Cup, the 2011 Rugby World Cup and the 2019 Rugby World Cup. He did not attend the 2015, which was a shame because he would have been at four World Cups, which is pretty damn cool for a professional athlete. Um, as I said at the start there, he he didn't get the send-off he wanted, but... Uh, he will, uh, he will leave as a legend of the game. He will easily get a gig in media. He's very likable, great personality. So uh, I'm sure John Barkley's listening to the podcast. So, John, <laughs> all the best. Breaking news, breaking news. And we have some breaking news straight into the podcast, and that is that Bayern Munich have won the Champions League as Kingsley Coleman's header sinks PSG. So there you go. PSG once again have failed to win in Europe and that is all fine with me Um, boys let's jump into Major League Baseball and a very odd situation that came out of that league and it doesn't involve COVID-19 for once so that's uh, a rare positive Um, now San Diego Padres uh, shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. Tatis Jr. I should probably have learned that one Uh, now he hit a grand slam on a 3-0 count while the San Diego Padres Padres were 10-3 up at the top of the seventh inning. I'm really trying to pretend I know what I'm talking about. I do like baseball, but I don't really understand it, which means no, I have no idea what's going on. Now, the issue is, because the Padres had such a large league, there is supposedly an unwritten rule in baseball, a league that is known for uh, steroids and stealing call signs to win World Series that if you're winning by that margin, you shouldn't then hit a grand slam. Um, Can somebody please explain to me what on earth Major League Baseball is on about? It's just, it's just the whole thing's ridiculous. The the unwritten rules in this in baseball are it's it's like the old guys that sit in the corner of the pub and you you buy them a pint every now and then. You don't really know why, but you just do. It's one of those things that they just do it Mm. because they've always done it. But a lot of them are actually, uh, you know against the idea of winning a ma- like a game. So the the first thing that I thought was brilliant about this is the irony in the sense that the last time a team won or won from in being in the losing position was the Padres who won 16-12 against the Rockies last year. So they've been in the position of the losing team and they still fought on and won. So 
of course they know you can lose from that position. Um, it's There's so many different rules like this, and I've got a few examples. But first of all, you should be encouraging your players to win. Why wouldn't you want to win? The coach has come out and said that he doesn't, he doesn't, he basically it doesn't agree with what he did. Like he's suggesting that we shouldn't be running the score up. That's crazy. You want to win your game. Don't baseball is mental in terms of scoring. Anything can happen. The guy hit a grand slam. That's four runs like that. You know, and the other team can do that. It's yeah. not that difficult. Well, I say it's not that difficult, but you get my point. Um, a lot of the times as well, things like this result in batters next time they come out to bat, getting hit by a pitch as a re- as a result. So it's so childish. Like that's the return is that we're going to throw a ball at you really hard because you did something you maybe shouldn't have done because it what they call disrespecting the game. It's oh, it blows my mind. A few other examples anyway. Um, another example of, of of disrespecting the game, failing to run hard for first base uh, on a routine ground ball no matter what the score is or situation is. So basically, you fucked it. You're not going to get a run. But you're expected to run as fast and as hard as you possibly can to get to somewhere you're not going to get in time uh, because that's considered disrespecting the game and supposedly a lack of fight. Now, I can understand that a little bit. It's disrespecting the game if you overly celebrate when you hit a home run. It's disrespecting the game if you flip your bat when you run. And that is one of the most common reasons for getting hit by a pitch. Um, and here's the worst one for me. When a pitcher is is uh, very close to getting a no-hitter, now a no-hitter is, as it kind of suggests, you pitch an entire game without anyone hitting from your pitches at all. It's a perfect game. It's a very hard thing to do. But it's considered a major faux pas to attempt to bunt. For those that don't know what a bunt is, it's literally like tapping the ball so that you so that the ball's so far away from the fielders that you can make it to first before someone gets to it it's a, it's it's a technique used quite a lot in baseball to obviously try and steal a first base so that you've got someone on base but it's considered disrespecting the pitcher for the batting team to bunt to make first base which could potentially lead to them scoring a run which they obviously haven't done yet and winning the game that's fucking ridiculous that's like saying, we're not going to try and win today because you're having a really good game. So good for you, I'm just going to fucking sit down. There's my little rant. It's fucking stupid. Well done to him. Fucking hitting a Grand Slam. It's his first ever Grand Slam as well. So fuck those guys. The one thing that was really great is a lot of pitchers have come out and said, well done to you. Keep fucking hitting. And that's exactly how it should be. It's competitive sport. Well, uh, Tadis Jr. is... Uh slowly becoming a, uh, a hero in, in San Diego. He's uh, really caught the attention of that small market. Uh, Jeremy, uh, when you were over in Edinburgh, we played some baseball in the Meadow Parkland over mm. here. Um, can you confirm if I hit a Grand Slam Definitely. at any point? Okay, I'm glad. Well done, me. I should get a call up to the, the Padres anytime soon. And uh, also for, for a sport that is just notorious for cheating and scandal, uh, this just, it seems uh, hypocritical and insulting, if nothing less. Yep, baseball's fallen so far behind basketball and football in popularity, and I think a lot of that is their uh, sort of unwillingness to adapt to a new generation who doesn't agree with all these uh, dumb, unwritten rules. I personally love that he hit the Grand Slam. You know how fucking cool it would be to hit a Grand Slam in baseball? You might never get to do that again. Uh, why, I mean, why wouldn't you do it? These These players are 
are paid based on their stats, and he would have been giving up a home run and several RBI. Another thing about baseball is there's no timer, so you can't just play conservatively, you know, if you're winning by a big lead. And also seven runs isn't that big of a lead. And let the timer run out. Um, the game's played by innings, and innings end when there's an out. And you're not just going to give up and out and lower your batting average because, you know, you feel bad for the other team you're playing. Uh, there were three innings left. Seven runs yeah. can easily yeah. be scored in three innings for the other team. Uh, it's so stupid. There's not a lot to say that yeah. Jack didn't say there, but, uh, yeah, I loved it. I'm all for it. I say keep hitting them. I wish five guys in a row hit them. Yeah, that's the thing. It was at the top of the seventh. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, like when I heard the story, I assumed it was the final hit of the game. I didn't really, you know, like... It's, yeah, it's, literally it's a third mental. of the game left. <laughs> yeah, just madness. Um, well, hopefully the the, the, pos- the big positive that comes out of this is the fact that the unwritten rules of baseball fuck off. Mm-hmm. So And, uh, and now we have our new favorite baseball player on the podcast. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, I'll, uh, I will be buying some of his merch imminently. Um... Boys, let's move on from one ridiculous story to another, and that's our COVID-19 news of the week. Uh, and this week it comes from the rugby world. Uh, Pro 14 bottom feeders, uh, the Dragons, who play in Wales, for those who don't know. Um, they are a team that has never made the knockout stages of uh, the Champions Cup, which is the premier European competitions. Uh, and since 2005, they've finished no better than eighth in the league. They are truly atrocious. I watched the final 20 minutes of their game today. Uh, they had an extra man for uh, 65 minutes and they still could only muster a draw, mm. which is nigh on impossible in rugby. So well done them. Um, but they got some good news. Welsh rugby legend, the centre that is Jamie Roberts, signed for the Dragons. Unfortunately for the Dragons, he signed and was immediately diagnosed with COVID-19. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, it's, it really is this team in a nutshell. They, they make my beloved Edinburgh rugby look mightily professional. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this, but, uh, yeah, it's a very lowly team finally getting a, a glimmer of hope only for that hope to be lost to a global pandemic for a couple of weeks. Anyway, is this our first reference of Wales on the podcast? May possibly be. The maybe? maybe? Yeah. No, I mentioned Wales earlier. Why did I mention Wales earlier? I'm f- I think you were, fighting you were through talking my notes. about Scarlets. Someone who played for Scarlets. Yes. Right. Yes. Clinically. Yes. John Barkley. Clinically. Yes. Uh, so anyway, COVID-19 news of the week, boys. Uh, that was fantastic as always. It's great to have the three of us back talking sports, ranting and raving. I love it. Shall we move on to our first segment of the night? Let's do it. Yep. All right. This segment is called I've Made a Huge Mistake. You can wonder where we got that idea from. Um, We're going to talk about players that teams signed, and quite frankly, it was a dumb move. Jack Green, as always, we haven't got a bloody clue what you're going to say. So please, enlighten us. Right, so I've gone uh, maybe a slightly different way with this. I've gone with young British Premier League talent going to Man City in the the early 20s as we should call it um three different stories uh i call it an idiot a rebirth and a winner there we go that's our that's our nicknames exactly who's who no one knows uh well Um, i'm the idiot (laughs) (laughs) right i'll try and do this quickly um so jack rodwell first example 
Mm. Jack Rodwell emerged as a as a brilliant talent brilliant. for Everton uh, in the first in the five years of his professional career for the first team with Everton looked like an incredible talent. Gained his first England cap, looked like he might be something special, and he signed for Man City uh, for twelve million. Um, he played. He was at Man City for two years, played sixteen games, and he was then sold to Sunderland for around ten million. Uh, he stayed at Sunderland for four years, played 67 games, spent most of it injured uh, and ended up being a massive burden on their team's wage bills as they got relegated twice in a row. Um, his, his contract ended up getting cancelled by new owners as they came in in 2018. Please see Sunderland till I die if you want to see the ins and outs of that. Um, Incredible. With the new ownership basically accepting that he was a cunt and that he had to go. <laughs> Since then, he's he's had one season for Blackburn and two appearances for Sheffield United, who picked him up in January. Basically, the guy, it comes across like the guy got money happy, sat on a ridiculous contract at Sunderland. What a waste of talent. I blame Man City. Probably shouldn't, but that's fine. The next one, <laughs> Scott Sinclair. Fantastic talent. Started off as a talented younger, youngster for Chelsea. Signed for Swansea. Tore up the Premier League for his first season in 2012. Went to Man City for £8 million. 13 appearances in three years while being loaned out to West Brom and Aston Villa, who eventually bought him. Now, relatively okay for, for Villa. He was, he was decent enough, but nothing special. He then signed for Celtic, where he reinvigorated his career. Played 105 games and scored 40 goals from midfield in four years. Fantastic for the uh, ever-winning Scottish champions. Uh, he now plays for Preston North End, which is actually a pretty decent landing spot for a player of his age and his calibre. The final one, a little more recent, Jaden Sancho. Now, this boy played it right. He was a Watford youth player, was signed up by Man City. Man City thought he was the future of the club. He turned around and said, let me play football. And they said no. So he signed for Dortmund for £8 million, which is nothing. And he's now played 78 times for Borussia Dortmund, scored 30 goals, and is a regular in the England lineup. Hats off, Jaden Sancho. You got it right, mate. And, of course, Jaden Sancho could end up signing for... Manchester United. United. So mm. that could be a bit of karma. Uh, Jeremy, I don't know if you've seen Sunderland Till I Die, but highly recommend it. Nope. The Jack Rodwell cool. section is hilarious. It is hilarious. Yeah, no spoilers. Either, but, <laughs> but I was going to say no spoilers. That's literally a spoiler. So let's move on. Um, Jeremy. Well, I have made several huge mistakes in life, but what we're talking about here is a mistake made by the Orlando Magic. Um specifically when it comes to Tim Duncan. Now, NBA fans will know Duncan as, you know, he's generally accepted as probably the best power forward ever. He's a top 10, top 15 player to ever play in the NBA. When you hear his name, you think of the Spurs. You can't imagine that he would have ever played anywhere else. That's not the case. Tim Duncan was apparently very close to signing with the Orlando Magic uh, in, well, I had it in my notes. It was either 2003 or 2004. I think it was 2004. And that's a team that featured Tracy McGrady after he left the Raptors, of course, and had signed Grant Hill, who was also an all-time NBA player. Uh, the, the recruiting process for Duncan was incredible. He was taken to Orlando and uh, given a after-hours tour and use of Disney World, uh, nice. using whatever any ride or all the amusements uh, that he wanted to. 
it also included a round of golf, and as he showed up to the tee box, Tiger Woods was standing there to play with him. That's incredible. Duncan seemed poised to leave San Antonio to go to Orlando until one key mistake was made. Then Orlando coach Doc Rivers refused to let Tim Duncan's girlfriend and future wife on the team plane. (laughs) She (laughs) apparently, uh, it's not something that's normally allowed, but it was known that the Spurs would sometimes make exceptions for wives or girlfriends or family members to, to travel with the team on road trips, but Orlando simply wouldn't allow it. After this, Orlando have done absolutely nothing in the NBA. Nobody has gone there. They've won nothing. They make the playoffs. They get beat down. Generally, they don't make the playoffs at all. Tim Duncan and the Spurs have won five (laughs) NBA championships. So, (laughs) I can't help but think, after hearing this news, Doc Rivers was standing there thinking, I've made a huge mistake. Absolutely. Um, quick shout out to the San Antonio Spurs who have just ended a 22-year playoff run, which is staggering. Uh, so that's a mm-hmm. hell of a record. Uh, shame that came to an end. And also Tim Duncan, a fantastic human, fantastic player. Known for being, what's the word we would look? It's not that he's not charismatic. He's just quite, you know, he's not even dull, but he's got no emotion whatsoever. So I just, mm-hmm. I'd love to see him on Space Mountain, you know, just... Well, there's a... <laughs> There's a picture of him. I don't know if he's coming out of a bar or something, but he's wearing what has to be a six seven XL shirt, and he's just blackout drunk. So, as soon as I saw that, he instantly became one of my favorite players ever. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big Tim Duncan fan. Well, the Orlando Magic should feel pretty damn stupid with themselves. Ah, uh, Doc Rivers, uh, Clippers head coach now. Yeah. Yep. 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 Ah, well, there you go. Um. Boys, my one, uh, it's a very quick one, uh, and it's a little bit different in the sense that this is a sort of uh, medical-related, uh, I've made a huge mistake. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, well, actually it was 2017, so that's three years ago, so good maths by me as always, uh, Edinburgh Rugby signed a guy by the name of Robbie Fruin, a uh, New Zealander. Uh, now, he only played five games for Edinburgh uh, before retiring on medical grounds. He had uh, rheumatic heart disease and he had in fact gone through two uh, operations, um, open heart surgery. Uh, he's had a pig heart implanted and that when that one failed, he then got the heart of a cow uh, implanted <sighs> into him to allow him to basically live. Now, Edinburgh Rugby signed Robbie Fruin and they knew about his medical con- condition and... Richard Cockrell, who, as you boys know, I am a huge fan of, he came out and he said that Edinburgh Rugby were well aware that Fruin's career could at any time come to an end. Now, I feel a bit harsh saying it was a huge mistake because what can the guy do? He's got a heart condition. It's not his fault. But I suppose I almost wanted to ask the question. And in the NBA, for example, Jeremy, Chris Bosch had to retire on some serious medical Mm -hmm. grounds. And that is... When does a team look past the moral aspect of employing someone and saying, you know what, we're sorry, but, you know, you're not healthy enough to be on this team? Now, of course, there, Edinburgh Rugby came out and said that Fruin had passed the medical, but this is a guy who five games later had to retire because he would die on the field if he played. Were Edinburgh Rugby almost taking a risk with this guy's health? He clearly wanted to play. But yeah, wh- where's your standpoint, Jeremy, on on guy on teams signing players who who have medical conditions that 
we're not just talking a you know an Achilles here. We're we're talking heart failure. It it's irresponsible. A player's you know you're a pro athlete because you have such drive and you want to play no matter what. And sometimes guys will play until some something terrible happens. Uh, so it can be down to the team to just simply say, listen, it's it's not going to happen. It's, it's, I can't imagine how awful that would be. You work that hard for that long to make a team and then it's taken away from you like that. But uh, sometimes you need the collective heads of an organization to stop a player from doing it to themselves. Yeah, I completely agree. I saw Robbie Fruin play um, a couple of times and I have to say he, he really was brilliant. So it was sad to see it not work out. But Jack, would you would you concur? Yeah, completely. It's like Jeremy's obviously said there, it's, it's irresponsible. It's... It's, it's someone's life that you you're putting at risk when it's like that, and it's yeah, obviously the yeah I can't really say much other than that what Jeremy said is that there's there's clearly a massive amount of drive and, and willingness to play, but you you have to kind of take the adult role there and just say this is this is too much, you're gonna hurt the guy. No, I completely agree. So yeah, Robbie Fruin with Edinburgh Rugby. Uh, for me, the mistake was uh, my beloved Edinburgh Rugby were playing God with a man's life. Um. On that very uplifting note, uh, shall we move mm. on to segment two of the evening, which yeah. is games we would like to see. Jeremy Curo, I'd like you to kick this one off. Yeah, mine is not a game as much as it is a, um, a matchup of sorts. I used to be a massive UFC fan, MMA in general. I would wake up at 3, 4 a.m. to watch live Japanese events. Uh, I, I somehow got out of it for years and years, but recently I've been getting back. I think the biggest possible matchup right now would be, um, well, now former UFC light heavyweight champion as he just relinquished the title, John Jones, against uh, former champion Brock Lesnar. It's not the best fight in terms of legitimate competition as Lesnar hasn't fought in uh, in years. However, it would be the biggest fight, I think, from a pay-per-view standpoint. Jones is moving up to heavyweight now anyway, so Lesnar seems like a perfect opponent. Uh... Jones' record of 26-1. and one. He's never actually lost in the UFC. His only loss came because he obliterated a guy with an illegal move that is a elbow coming in a downward motion. Looked like he killed a guy. Everyone else he has just destroyed. Uh, Lesnar, who is a five-time former heavyweight champion in WWE, <laughs> and what some people would say more impressive, which I don't know, is a former UFC champion as well. The reason I want to see this so much and because why I'm such a big John Joe's fan, and I think Ali will appreciate this, is because he once tweeted back to me in 2009 yes. after his debut fight in the UFC. Oh, he's, he's my favorite as well now. Oh, exactly. He's had a few questionable decisions over his career. Haven't we all? A few huge mistakes, if you will. However, uh, I still am as big a fan as ever. Now, Lesnar was brought back in, I believe, 2016 for UFC 200 where he, of course, tested positive for steroids. No surprise there. So he would need to, uh, of course, be clean first. But uh, yeah, Jones versus Lesnar is about as interesting as it would get in the world of combat sports right now. Jeremy, does uh, Brock Lesnar still live in Canada? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He still represents Canada. When he comes out, he's got the Canadian flag. It's very strange, but he's sort of adopted us as his home, which is pretty cool. That's brilliant. And I, I have to be honest, I don't watch UFC, hence the reason I jumped on this uh, Jones guy is my favourite guy, and I'll probably Google mm-hmm. him now and find out he's maybe not the best character, but yeah, well, I've done worse. Um, in, in the UFC, do they come out to entry music, and does Brock Lesnar come out to his WWE epic theme? <laughs> no. It'd be funny if he did. Oh. Brock Lesnar actually comes out to uh, Metallica's Enter Sandman. Yeah. It's always pretty fucking epic. That's, uh, it's epic, Decent but it's... Choice. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's used a lot, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. No, it is. No, Doesn't um, no, that's a fantastic one. Well, let's uh, let's hope uh, Canada's own uh, Brock Lesnar uh-huh. uh, turns up for that one. Um, Jack, what game would you like to see? Mine's more of a, a tournament, so I want to see um, like a Europe All Star tournament. So the best players of the Premier League, the best players of La Liga, of Bundesliga, of Serie A, so on and so forth, create a team. And then have a tournament between those teams to kind of because there's always you know we we actually covered it last week me and Jeremy about about who's the what is the best league in in Europe and it got me thinking as is in the Premier League is clearly the most competitive league but you could argue that the the best stars in the world actually could play in La Liga or at least a good portion of them mm-hmm. and in Italy as well. Um, definitely in the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich have just won the Champions League. So I think it'd be amazing to see to see kind of just a best of or an all-star team from each league come together and, and have that tournament. It's very unrealistic that it would really happen, but it'd be, a, yeah, just the world's best players playing against each other um, and playing with each other. That's the, the best thing, really. Yeah, I was uh, surprised that uh, Hulk Hogan thought Serie A was the best league in Europe. Um, Jeremy? <laughs> I love that idea, Jack. I think that's amazing. Uh, the closest thing I can think is when the MLS does MLS All Stars versus like Real Madrid or something, yeah, and they exactly. uh, obviously get stomped no matter what. <laughs> but uh, that would be really cool. That would settle our debate on the best league. Hundred percent. Premier League's gonna win, yeah. so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, I would have to agree with that. Um, no, that is a great one, Jack, and I would, uh, I would be, a, I would be a good money maker as well. Uh, from a business sense um, boys I'm just going to keep the rugby theme because I just seem to be talking about rugby tonight so massive apologies <laughs> for, for everyone who doesn't like rugby That's, uh, I'll rectify that one going forward uh, I, I won't I will keep talking about rugby um, but my one is I'd like to see the winners of the Champions Cup which is Europe um, against the winners of Super Rugby uh, you boys have heard me speak about that before and it's kind of a similar uh, in a similar idea to Jack and that is you constantly get the argument which is better Northern Hemisphere Rugby or Southern Hemisphere Rugby uh, when it comes to international rugby of course you have the All Blacks um, who are one of the greatest sporting outfits of any sport you have the Springboks who won the 2019 Rugby World Cup beating England Um but I get a bit tired of this whole who's better, north or south. And I just think this would be a great game to, to kind of prove a point if you had, um, you know, the Saracens before they, um, you know, decided to, to do a Major League Baseball and cheat their way to titles. Uh, if they had played the Crusaders of New Zealand in a one-off uh, winner-takes-all matchup with their best players, I just think it would give us an idea of where both uh, uh, both club rugby in the north and the southern hemisphere is um and yeah i think it would be an interesting match i it, it will never happen for many reasons one uh, there's already worries that uh, guys are playing too much rugby uh, it's a sport where guys are running into each other and in this modern day of health and head knocks um it would it would just be yet another game on the global calendar and two i don't think super rugby will be around too much longer so um i think that'll end that one i think south african teams will migrate to the north and uh, and that will be that but yeah there you go kind of similar to jeremy it's uh, sorry to jack even it's uh it's uh, uh an all-star game just to just to silence the 
silence of fans a bit a bit like you know when I said about having a, a college uh, a college NFL uh, team playing the Cleveland Browns mm-hmm. and that would have ended that one so no well I think we have some fantastic games we want to see so as soon as this podcast is over we will pitch these ideas to Premier Sports because they honestly will show anything on their sports channel the other day I tuned into some professional chainsawing so that was fantastic <laughs> and that, uh, shortly following that was professional bull riding and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie boys what an hour of sport I had um, guys would you like to play a quick quiz yeah oh yeah oh yeah right this week I am going to be quiz master uh, after Jack uh, and his brilliant quiz the other week um, now the premise of the game is nicknames I'm going to read out a nickname and you have to tell me if this is the nickname of an NBA basketballer or if it's not, it's quite okay. simple. It's quite simple. Okay. Now, all these nicknames have come from basketball reference, okay? Or have they? That's the quiz. It's incredible. So, let's start with number one. The Big Aristotle. The Big Aristotle. Jack, is that NBA player or not? Yes, it is. Okay, Jeremy Curo. I believe that's Shaq. That is. Oh, old yes. Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> yes. The big anything is pretty much Shaq. Yeah, absolutely. I believe he was on a press conference and just said, I would like everyone from now on to refer to me as the big Aristotle. What a guy. Yeah. Next up, we have the Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. Jeremy. I think you made that one up. Okay. Jack. I, I feel like it's just going to be like one Australian player that plays in the, the league. So I'm going to say yes. Jack Green, unbelievable yes. Belfast 180. It is the nickname given to Australian Ben Simmons. Oh, bullshit. Well, according to basketball <laughs> reference. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. I think one, obviously one, right, one nice guy. One Jack. He probably just gave it to himself. There you go. Yeah, right, true, yeah, yeah. true. All right, number three, Vanilla Elliot. Vanilla <laughs> Elliot. Jeremy. Vanilla Elliot. Made up. All right, Jack. It sounds like someone's porn star name, like your favorite flavor of ice cream with the your, the name of your first dog. Um, yeah. I, do you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. It's so ridiculous. It is a player's name. Nickname. Okay. Well, this is quite embarrassing for you, Jack, because this is in fact how you are named in my phone. <laughs> I forgot about that. So in my phone, when you contact me, it comes up saying Vanilla Elliot. So that is no <laughs> way. That's awkward for us all. That's awkward for us all. Uh, next mm. up, Big Penguin. Big Penguin. <laughs> Jeremy. Fake. Okay, Jack. Uh, I think it's fake as well. It is the nickname given to Andre Drummond. <sighs> God damn it. Uh, number five, Stat. Just stat. Just the oh, word that, stat. That's true. That's true. No, that's true. Jack. Well, I'm going to say true because Jeremy looks very convinced. <laughs> yeah, he's a, yeah that is the uh, nickname given to the All Our Team's midwife, uh, Amuri Studemar. That's right. All right. Stat man himself. Next up, NASA. NASA. Would anyone like to guess? What do you think, Jack? I'll say it's not true. Not, not okay. a name. I'm going to say... I'm gonna go with true. Gonna go with true. It's it's false. It's the National Aeronautics <laughs> and Space hell. Administration. <laughs> uh, send send rockets to send rockets to space. Next up, <laughs> next up, ice fishing capital of North America. 
ice, <laughs> ice fishing capital of North America. Is this the nickname of an NBA player? True. No. <laughs> you're, going, you're going false. Or quite definitive, Jerry. I have to say that it's true, just because that's ridiculous. You have to say it's true. It's not. It's the nickname no. for Georgina, Ontario. Uh, so, <laughs> anyone, if you have a time to for a day trip, Jeremy, and you want to go ice fishing, then uh, Georgina, Ontario. I do ice fishing. It's a good time. Right. Uh, the big sleep. The big sleep. I think that's true. The big sleep. False. I think you might find this one controversial as well, Jeremy. Uh, supposedly it was the nickname given to Tracy McGrady. So, ah. <laughs> so there Bastard. we go. Number nine. Number nine. Big cock. <laughs> big cock. False. Okay, we've got false from True. True Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's false. It was the album by Psychobilly. I don't know what that is. Rock band King Kurt. I also don't know who they are, but mm. oh, obviously uh, might be on Spotify. There we go. And number ten, Big Steve. Big Steve. I'm going with that one's got to be true. All right, Jack. Big Steve. Uh, it sounds like it. Yeah, it sounds like it's true. Uh, unfortunately, it's false. It was the nickname oh. given to the ex-U.S. president Grover Cleveland. I don't know. You figure, you figure that one out. I, I think Jack won, but I don't know. Yeah, I did. Score. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I did. Did not keep scoring that. Nice but, one, Jack. Uh, yeah, well done, Jack. Yeah. Well done, Jack. I've got better. Uh, I've got much better quizzes. Yes. Apparently. No, you have. Oh yeah, since you went like over ten that one week. Oh. Yeah. No, well done. Uh, as a prize, um, I don't know. Maybe we'll just ask Shaq for a casting of his cock. No, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> know. Um. Right, boys, shall we do some top threes? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. This week, uh, we are going to go through our all-time favorite athletes. Now, boys, I'm aware I'm a co-host in this podcast. Was this favorite athletes for our teams or just of all and anything? Just for our teams. Brilliant. That's good news because that's what I've done. So that's going well. That's going well. Um, Jack, Jeremy, Jeremy, Jack, who would like to start? Jesse, you go for it. Yep. Okay. Uh, congratulations, first of all, Ali, for actually mentioning what the top threes was this week before we just started. It only took 11 uh, so, uh, episodes. Yeah. Uh, this one was hard because all my three favorite Jets players of all time have all requested trades. Uh, with the Raptors, I've always liked the team more than any individuals on it. So I'm going to start with uh, Damon Allen, former Toronto Argonauts quarterback. He retired as pro football's all-time passing leader. And even though it was CFL, it is still pro football. Uh, he's the younger brother to Marcus Allen, an all-time great college and NFL running back. He won CFL MVP at age 42. And most importantly, he autographed his jersey for me once at a game. Amazing. Uh, number two, Toronto Maple Leafs' Austin Matthews uh, from Ali's beloved state of Arizona. Yes. Matthews was the first overall pick in the draft really when I got into the Leafs. So uh, for me, he represents uh, my time as uh, in the part of Leafs fandom. Number one, from the USC Trojans, O.J. Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to put him in as a Bills Former Heisman Trophy winner and uh, whatever else he's, he's allegedly done. So there's my top threes. Fantastic. Uh, always good to hear about the Bronco salesman himself, Jack Green. <laughs> right. Um, so I was. it's a bit of a head scratch this one as well, actually. But I went with, uh, I started off with Darren Huckabee. Now, Jeremy, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he was he was a bit of a legend in English football for a while mm. with with the likes of Coventry City and, of course, 
Norwich City. Um, but he was just a, <laughs> a classic English winger, like just took on everyone, ran at people constantly, just turned people inside out. A true, true great to watch. Um, truly uh, worthy of a number seven shirt. Unfortunately, he got given the number six shirt as the number seven had been given to Philip Mulrine, a man who is now a priest. Oh. Do it, we will. <laughs> Lock your kids away. Next one, sure, LaShawn McCoy, the Bills running back that was number two behind OJ Simpson, but I figured I'd leave him out as he's probably going to appear at some point. Um, Shady McCoy, largely because anyone that can rip off a 21-yard breakaway touchdown in overtime of a game played entirely through a snowstorm is a fucking athlete. Yes, Shady. Last one, a man that I used to pronounce the name is, uh, as Patrick Ewing, when I played um, NBA Jam <laughs> as a kid, uh, <laughs> Patrick Ewing, um, I think largely because if you want to think of an, a Nick that is anything decent, you have to look back a lot of years. Patrick Ewing, probably one of the best, if not the best New York Nick of all time. Um, just an incredible talent, made to the playoffs 13 times and was one of those many players battling Jordan in attempting to beat the Bulls. Well, I think we all know that Amari Studemeyer is the greatest Nick of all time, but I take your <laughs> point, Jack. Um, for my top threes, uh, I've gone with Devin Booker of the Phoenix Suns. He is just an unbelievable specimen. Um, he really is just a joy, and I, I really hope he stays with the Suns long enough to win something, but I fear he may not, because that's how it goes. Uh, second on my list, I've got Harry Kane. Exact same reason. He is unbelievable with Tottenham Hotspur. Um, I would love him to stay to win something, but again, I fear he won't, because it's Tottenham Hotspur. Um, but uh, number one on my list, it's Duhan van der Merwe, who could win something with Edinburgh. Uh, he is electric on the wing. He has uh, hands the size of my face. And for those of you who've never seen my face, it's bloody massive. Um, and he uh, has been so integral to Edinburgh Rugby over the last couple of seasons. And our transition from being utter garbage to top of our conference. He's also wildly good looking. And uh, I'm very jealous of his hair. So that's uh, Devin Booker, Phoenix Suns, please stay. That's Harry Kane, Tottenham Hotspur, please stay. And that's Duhan van der Merwe, Edinburgh Rugby, I want your hair. Boys, that was fantastic. Brilliant to have the three of us back in one room. Uh, guys and girls who have been listening, thank you so uh, thank you so much for listening week in and week out. We got some brilliant feedback that people were really enjoying the uh, one-on-one podcast we did the last two weeks. We weren't sure how they were going to go, so it was great to hear that you enjoyed them. As we said at the start of the podcast, we are on Instagram, we are on Twitter, at all our teams. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Pods. Uh, if it's a podcast platform, we are there. Please tell your friends, please tell your foes. Let's get the name out there. We are loving doing the podcast. Jack Green, thank you and good night. Great to be back in full force. Good night, gents. Jeremy Curo. Thank you, and good night. Shout out to Patrick Ewing, and we will chat next week. <laughs> Absolutely. I have been the ice fishing capital of North America, <laughs> and I'm off to watch The Wizard of Oz. Where are we? Soccer. There we are. Okay. Any Anytime we talk about Ross County, I'm happy, so yeah, we're good. Roses are red, violets are blue, Jeremy and Jack. I love you. Ooh, no one here. Spooky. Jeremy, very curious to get your thoughts. You're 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 a very you're a big, huge, massive man. I'm gonna start that again. I just. I, 
<laughs> I just lost complete. I blanked out at one point there. Funny how I'm drinking North American piss and you're drinking European piss. Extra cold. And breathe. For the uh, Scottish wins everything. Oh, that's not that. Yeah, fuck, sorry. There's a motorbike doing something mental outside my window and it put me off. Fuck off, weirdo. Good evening.